1: I feel like i'm a patchwork of life i feel like you know people say their stories i feel like there's so many chapters and i try to embrace all of them
0: hey my name is jenna kutcher and i am obsessed with all things business marketing numbers and helping you to navigate both the messy and the magical seasons of this thing called life I said that I would be amplifying the voices. Here are some of the women previously featured on the podcast who are experts in their fields. Please re-engage with them and their content. To see more of our past guests and learn from their expertise, please visit jennacutcherblog.com slash amplify. I'm Alex. <laughs> <laughs> Alex, it's, it's weird talking in
2: third person. Okay, I am must yeah. stop. I am born and raised in Southern California. I have been a plus-size model for the last nine years, and that has been the most wonderful journey. It's been extremely eye-opening, and I feel like I kind of you know, became an adult and learned how to you know, run my own business and become my own, my own woman and my own brand. And it was, it's been scary. So I've been modeling for those nine years and it all started. (laughs) I was plus size in high school and I was shopping online for clothes because I couldn't actually find any jeans in my area that, you know, fit me. So I'm shopping online on tour.com and I found myself looking at these women instead of looking at the clothes. And I was Like flabbergasted. I was like, who are these girls that look like me? They are beautiful. They are stunning. Who are they? And so I just did a bunch of research and, you know, I learned about plus size modeling. I didn't know anything about it. I actually reached out to Torrid on their website this doesn't work anymore so if you're trying to get into <laughs> modeling now don't do this but basically i just <laughs> emailed torrid with some facebook photos that's amazing like just literally my profile my facebook profile photo and was like how can i model for you i heard nothing for two months and then i got an email back from the head photographer and she was saying you know we're starting to introduce some new girls come in for a go see i didn't know what that was i had to do it. <laughs> i had to look it up basically a casting. Watch America's
0: Um, Next Top Model, you know. Yes, watch America's
2: Next Top Model and you will definitely learn all about Goseys. (laughs) And I went in and I took a few photos and met the team. And again, didn't hear anything back for like two months. And I was like, oh no, (laughs) it's not working. But they finally called me in and I had my first shoot for Torrid and it was awesome. I shot with them for about a year and then they said that they wanted to work with agency models only. And so I was like, how do I get an agency? And so I just basically, as the years went by, I had to learn different things and just did my research and ended up signing with an agency for four years. And I just left them about a year ago. And now I'm on my own. And I've been having a blast repping myself.
0: (laughs) How has that been? Like, That's a huge transition and just representing yourself and finding that confidence to pitch yourself and all of that. Has that been a big change?
2: It has been for sure. I think social media has kind of changed what roles I can take. I can be the model, but I also have this great platform on social media that I love. I love all of the amazing people who follow me. And I get to share with them about plus size clothing or beauty products or whatever it may be. And I can work directly with the client. So I haven't really needed my agent as much. So I I left and now I negotiate contracts, had to learn how, how to do that. And I, you know, figured out how to make a business and run a business on my own with a lot of help from people who are doing it before me.
0: It's incredible. So the reason why, and when I reached out to you, I was just so excited about this is one of the things that I value so much about your social media is that it just feels welcoming. Like all are welcome to show up. There's a seat at the table laid by you, Alex. What has it been like? Like, has that been an intentional piece of your strategy? Has it just been who you are? What does that kind of look like for you? So that has
2: absolutely been intentional. Okay, little backtrack. As a plus-size model, I'm a little bit bigger than the average model. And so I was always fighting to be included in campaigns and on websites and, and whatever because I was a few sizes bigger. And I'm trying to make a space for all women of all sizes to feel represented in the fashion industry. So that was kind of my vision when I took, you know, when I I take that vision over to Instagram and I want it to be a space where all women feel represented, heard, loved, accepted. I don't think, or I definitely don't think (laughs) beauty standards are a real thing. I don't think that anyone should be restricted because of their size, because of the color of their skin or their ability of their body, you know, to be, I feel like they shouldn't be restricted in the industry. And so when I go to post, when I go to talk to the people who are following me on my social media, that is my message. And so when I'm talking about that, people feel heard, people feel validated. And I've been able to grow a really beautiful community because people know they can come to my page and I'm here fighting for you to be seen and to be know, wrapped in the media. So it's been cool.
3: As an Enneagram four, I naturally compare always, yeah. <laughs> like, because as a four, if any of you are familiar with the Enneagram fours, think that they are inherently flawed and so that is like a constant battle that we encounter every single day personally and professionally when you add that level professionally and then you also add Instagram to the mix it is a whole it's a show you know like it's just it's not it's awful and so I've had to learn like I think my beginning steps with that process was not unfollowing but muting people's accounts that I realized that I would just go to and not walk away feeling like excited for them or walk away feeling excited about what I was doing that I was just like, Okay, I could do that. Mm-hmm. You know, or why am I not doing that? Or why what is she to have that I don't have? And I I was like, oh no, 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 we gotta get out of that space, you know, we can't do that. And so I I muted those accounts so that I'm less prone to just see them on my feed and and feel quote unquote, some type of way about it, you know? And then the other layer of it was, again, as a four, I'm like, I'm unique. I'm an individual. So at the end of the day, it really doesn't matter that someone else is doing the exact same thing that I want to do. Because at the core of how I'm going to do it and how I'm going to execute is not going to be how Anyone else has the ability to execute and the ability to do it. So then it turned into not this cockiness, but this fullness of understanding of like, The way I sit at the table and the things I bring to the table are not going to be the things that someone across from me sits at the table or brings to the table. Like, what's the whole point of a potluck, right? Is that there's a whole bunch of stuff there. Do they go together? Sometimes. Do they not go together? A lot of times, you know? But at the same time, that's what people are bringing to the table. And I think so much of this professionalism and this creative life and even just personal comparison that. We have is because we're so associated and we're so fixated on what someone else is bringing to the table. Therefore, what are we doing at the same time? We're showing up empty, right? Because we're so focused and we're so fixated on what they're bringing to the table that we forget our house, you know, or we forget it in the car, or whatever, or however that alliteration wants to fall. And so, I think for me, I realized like. I can't keep showing up empty handed just because comparison has tried to stifle what I know I can bring to the table. And so a lot of it came out of that, especially in this weird world of like entertainment and this like body positivity world where it's like, Oh, I'm curved, but I'm not quite plus because I'm a little bit smaller than quote, unquote plus. So there's that separation. And then on top of that, it's like, Oh, but I'm a speaker and a poet. And and my Instagram doesn't look like most people who speak, yeah. you know? And, and so it's like finding, I'm like, and because I'm in so many different platforms And in so many different worlds, it let the weight of comparison be so much more stretched. And there's so many more opportunities for those to happen. And I had to literally shut each and every one of them down. And I'm like, at the end of the day, all you can bring to the table is what you have in your hands to bring to the table. That's it. That's all you can do. And trying to worry about what other people are doing and what other people and then through that comparison, I realized like, Oh, she's modeling for a Nike. That's cool. And I'm like, first of all, you don't want to, even, you don't even want to be a model. What are you talking about? And I was like, you know what? You're right. These are the conversations I had in my head. You know what? You're right. Actually. I want to work for Nike as a spokesperson. I want to work for So then I started to reroute my yes. comparison. It's not that I wanted to do that direct thing, but you figure out, okay, When you do have that seat at that Nike table or insert that said table that you were trying to be at, when you do have that seat at that table, what are you going to contribute? what are you going to show up with? And so then I started to reroute, like, girl, stop driven about what modeling gigs they are doing. You don't care. You don't actually want to be a model. And I'm like, you're right. Mm -hmm, You're absolutely right. And then I'm like, okay, well, what will I do if I'm in those rooms? What will I say if I'm in those rooms? And so that kind of really helped to restructure my comparison. You can make a constructive comparison, right? Anything can be constructive if you turn it around. I think a lot of the check-in really needs to happen internally first an internal response before an external reaction and figuring out what that tension looks like and then asking like why why are you trying to find the negative thing like i think for me it's like i always think that things are just too good to be true you know i have a poem about it about just like not being able to accept what i call glorious opportunities
0: can you read that poem
3: yeah i actually have it memorized I've grown familiar with the feeling of holding out my hands with both the expectation and the grief that I will pull them away empty, of making a catastrophe in every moment that instead of shooting stars, atomic bombs will come crashing in their place so afraid that the solar eclipse only ever means darkness and not realize that the light, the light always comes first. I, I once attended a retreat, or they asked us if the glass was half empty or half full. I said both, but it doesn't matter because it's not my glass to begin with. See, sometimes I have a really bad habit of believing that all good things that happen to me are not actually for me, that they dodged the person they were meant for and wound up in my lap by happenstance. She said, so what does that mean? You need to learn to accept, I said, I guess. That means I need to learn that I am deserving of glorious opportunities. I am deserving of glorious opportunities. She said, now say it with your hands out like you're receiving. I am deserving of glorious opportunities. I stood there with my hands out and tears falling down my face. See, I am strangely aware. Of the fact that I am both human and flawed, that the mediocrity of my humanity often shadows the still hint of sparkle in my dust, that yes, even though I am human and grace-filled, I am swimming with purpose, that there is nothing happenstance about the things that happen to me, that my life is swimming with intention, even when I think it is not. You see, I want to be aware of more shooting stars and atomic bombs these days to watch glorious opportunities bounce off my palms like raindrops, find them marvelous even if they disappear because for no matter how long, at some point in time they were mine and they were glorious.
1: So Tiko first is this eclectic woman who, I don't know, I'm, I feel like I'm a patchwork of life. I feel like, you know, people say their stories. I feel like there's so many chapters and I try to embrace all of them to become Tico. So my current chapter <laughs> looks like marriage of, it'll be 14 years in December. I have two babies. I, they're babies to me. My daughter will be <laughs> in September, but she's still my baby. And then my son is 10. So one boy, one girl, I get to love them equally and have a favorite of both. I tell them you're my favorite. <laughs> You're my favorite son, so I love that. And I currently train corporations, organizations, and team leaders on emotional intelligence. Really big on. I'm really big on on human behavior, actually. And so I study. I've been a student of human behavior for so long. It seems like that's been the common trend in my entrepreneur journey and transitions from whatever my focus is in that season. And so right now, emotional intelligence, which is really not a new phenomenon, but it's very you know, things start trending and (laughs) catching on. And so it's one of those things that people are really starting to pay attention to. And so that's what I teach and train on.
0: I love that when trends line up with our visions and you're like, yes, yes. like right now, yes. big eyebrows are in, and I'm like, I have only waited 31 years for eyebrows right. to be yes. back. To be back here to so be right. back. And that's how
1: I feel about my bald head, Jenna. It's like I've been doing this since I was 18. I'm 43 now. But when I see people like bald hair, don't care, short hair don't care, I'm like, yes, I am here to come to, to my game. Me. you know? Welcome to the <laughs> party (laughs) welcome to the party (laughs) exactly here's your hat wear your hat throughout the party Uh, love
0: this okay so break down what emotional intelligence is because i feel like we're on the cusp of this but for a lot of us this is kind of new so break it down for us it is and so
1: emotional intelligence is interesting i can i tell you what it's not i think i don't know i would just love starting with what it's not first because i think people have in their minds you know i believe with information so readily at our fingertips, people have already made up their mind that they know, something or everything. Right. And so I'm always like, what is it not first? Let's start with that. So what emotional intelligence is not, it's not this excuse to be emotional and I'm doing open air quotes uh, to be (laughs) these emotional beings. that's just spewing off whatever you feel, you know, it's what I feel. And so I get to say it, I get to feel it and you have to accept it. It's not an excuse for being emotional and it's not a way to suppress emotion. Emotions, because I hear that too, where people think it's a, it's a way to kind of cage what you're feeling yeah, and cage your emotions. And I'm using those words interchangeably for now, but hopefully I get an opportunity to tell you what's the difference yes. between them. But right now we're saying emotions and feelings, but it's not a way to cage them. Essentially it's our way that we are able to first identify our own emotions appropriately. That's the key there is are we identifying them appropriately? And then are we able to see the emotions in other people? And that's really key about emotional intelligence. So it's not just about understanding what I'm feeling in real time in real life. It's about, can I see what that other person is possibly feeling too? And can I label it correctly? And then it's taking both of those things and determining how you're going to respond. And the goal is for that response to be beneficial to whatever the outcome is. Wow, and so I know. Summing this up, (laughs) oh my gosh, you know, so it's really. I know it sounds really deep at some point, but another way, a simpler way, maybe to look at it is to say it's how I connect emotionally to experiences and encounters that are happening around me. So it's how I'm connecting, whether it's to the people, to the experience, to the opportunity, to what just happened
0: to me. It's how am I connecting emotionally? I love that. Okay. So let's dive into the difference between emotions and feelings because I feel like this is important and yes. I want to understand it better too. Yes. Oh, well, I I love that.
1: <laughs> <Teach> <laughs> so it's interesting. Me. It's interesting because so a little quick backstory about how I ended up at the emotional intelligence part for yes. so long. I was doing the branding and strategy for teams. And I've worked with over 200 entrepreneurs on building their brands, their strategy, their stories. And what I recognize is what they really were trying to do is fix what they were feeling. Yeah. And so, well, when it came to big teams, I found a huge problem that they wanted an end result. They didn't really care about the good work. Yeah. Uh, entrepreneurs who cared more about the validation and not the, good product and I just kind of got sick of seeing that I'm like I don't think these people get that behind all this good stuff are humans and there's something that makes humans work there's something that connects all of us and if you look up the definition of humanity you'll essentially see that's what connects us all is really how we feel how we act how we respond our temperament and our emotions and so that's how I even landed into I gotta do something different than just coming up with these end results but not focusing on the actual people that drive the results. And this works in life, and as marriage, and um, as a wife, I'm a wife. But hey, there's some women who aren't into marriage. You know that's totally fine. But whatever it is for your success story, at the end, there's a human that has to drive it. And so, and we're made up of human. I mean, of emotions and feelings. Excuse me. So we're made up of human. I mean, I say we are made up of humans. Okay, but humans are made up of emotions and feelings. And so, the important thing is to know how do they differ. And so that's what we, of course, will talk. About.
4: <laughs> so, so there was once a little girl named Brandis. No, <laughs> I am Brandis Daniel, and I think like over everything, I'm a Southern girl. I'm from Memphis, Tennessee. Um, live in New York now, been in New York for I think 13 or 14 years. I'm losing track of time. But I love New York City, but the South is really in my heart. I love most of the Southern ways. And I started a company, Harlem's Fashion Row, when I moved to New York, about two years after I moved to New York. And that has been probably one of the best decisions I've ever made in my entire life. Through that company, I found my calling, my purpose, and it's been just this incredible journey of super highs and super low. <laughs> but the thing that has really kept me on this journey is always remembering my why. And for me, that is to increase the number of multicultural designers within the fashion industry. Right now, the numbers are dismal. Mm-hmm. And so it's really been my call to do something about that so that, The next generation won't look around and there's only, you know, five African-American and Latina designers that are in major stores or or that are in the market in a major way. I think sometimes it's great when you don't see the whole picture and I didn't see the entire picture. So (laughs) I was actually working as a production manager for Intimate Apparel Company. And I worked in the Victoria's Secret account. Okay. Uh, I really liked my job quite a bit. Got a chance to travel internationally a lot and uh, really fell in love with Asia. So I liked my job. I love, you know, I love what I was doing, but I didn't feel like I was fulfilling my purpose. And so I went to a fashion show in Brooklyn. I was living in Harlem at the time and I'm at that show. And I a thought just hit me, Brandis, you should do this in Harlem. And I had been in Harlem for a couple years, and I had never seen a fashion show done in a way that I felt could compete with New York Fashion Week. Mm-hmm. And so I just started planning. One of the things that i had done right at the moment was i thought i wanted to own a boutique so i was volunteering at a boutique a really nice amazing luxury boutique in harlem at the time and so he was the first the owner was the first person i asked to be in this fashion show and he said yes and so i was kind of able to leverage that one brand to get the other ones to come on board after asking them about five to ten times But that was really the start of it. And then while I was planning it, I was kind of journaling the entire time and I knew that this was bigger than just a fashion show. And I knew that it was bigger than Brandeis. And I was like, I don't understand what this is, but I don't know if I've ever felt so passionate about anything in my entire life. And I think when you have a thought or an idea or something that comes into your heart that you feel really pulled to do, you don't always see the full picture, but you just have to kind of follow that because it'll be re- like, sometimes it's not meant for you to see the full picture because Mm-hmm. If picture it would have scared the crap
3: out
0: of me <laughs> i was going to say sometimes if you can see what you're getting into you probably wouldn't have gotten into it exactly
4: <laughs> i had never planned an event from start to finish ever But I knew what it was like to execute. Like I come from a family of go-getters. And so I kind of knew like the parts and pieces that I would need to make this happen. I had been a part of planning fashion shows, but I had never done one myself. Mm -hmm. And I would just everybody I would see that I thought could add value to this experience. I would share my vision. They would hear my passion. And I would say, I don't have any money. But I understand that this is going to be a huge idea. If you could just feel that and trust that, please come on board and help me make this happen. And so I had a team of about 20 volunteers for that first event. Wow, Strangers. All of these people were strangers that I didn't know. (laughs)
0: <laughs> oh, I think that's just so much about your personality. That is amazing. So, so I, you know,
4: but people kind of, I think when you're kind of talking about something, Jenna, I can feel your passion for what you do through your podcast, mm-hmm. right? Like, mm-hmm. I think that's even what draws me to you is like, I know that you're doing what you're supposed to be doing and other people mm-hmm. can feel it too. And if you're, Talking to someone about something that you're very passionate about and you don't try to hold back or censor that people
5: will feel it and they'll want to come on board to help. So a question that guides me is how can I serve my customer in the highest way for the longest period of time on their journey? So I call this your Neverland offer, and I'm working on this right now. It's how do you stay relevant? Basically, like if you think back to Peter Pan, right? He stayed young in Neverland forever, stayed relevant forever. So how can you stay relevant to your customer? What is that graduation? So with this, I love this, this restaurant metaphor, if it's a prefix menu, for your customer, they come to you and you say, hey, welcome to, you know, my thing. Here's an appetizer, which is the webinar, right? The opt-in page. And then, oh, we have our first course, which is this set of uh, emails that you're going to get after the webinar, right? It's going to get you get you a little warmed up. Then we've got our, you know, main course, which is our course, right? The uh, Oh, I love that. Play, hey, play on hey. words. The main <laughs> course is the course. Course from scratch is the main course. Uh, so here is the main course. Jenna, you don't know what you created with this, this restaurant, <laughs> I of love course. And so you get the main course, which of course from scratch. Now, where I am now, and maybe, you know, people listening right now, you're here too. You've got your main course. Now the question is, how can we continue? Because there's now more hunger for the next, the next meal. How can we continue serving this same customer? Guess what? I already have their attention. They know who I am. They know my mission. I know theirs. So let's now do dessert or or the second course or whatever it is, which is the next thing. And guess what? That next thing in my case, for instance, I have people in my program who have done their five figures, six figures, some even seven figures from one course. And they're like, "Okay, how do we now continue scaling? So I'm now creating that next thing, which, guess what, is a higher price point. Yes. And that's it's gonna a premium serve- offer, exactly. premium dessert, yes. a premium <laughs> dessert. And it's great because it serves in two well in a few ways. So the okay. beauty of this prefix menu, which we've just created, is a prefix menu works and people go to you for it because only you can create this prefix menu because it is based on your strengths, your story. So this prefix menu has for me, right? My mom is Panamanian. My dad is uh, Jamaican. So I'm full Caribbean daughter of two Caribbean parents. So it's like this menu, guess what? It's going to have notes that only I can add because of my background, right? Mm-hmm. Another part of my story is, yeah, I worked at startups and I was a lot of times the only woman and black woman and black woman in her 20s going to these conferences, talking to these you know, men who are age 50 CEOs. That's a part of my story too. So that's going to be yeah. in my little meal as well. So you're thinking about how can I take, and I call it your culture ad. What is your story? Where have you been? And what have you achieved or overcome? And you're going to infuse that into your course, your prefix menu, and that's going to help make you the only person in the world who can serve that meal. The only person in the world who can offer that course, who can create that course and help that customer. When you're creating a course, you can create a course, for instance, on how to learn piano, right? So you may create a course that's called learn piano playing and that course is gonna come from you know this person who's been playing piano their whole life, classically trained, and they create this course. Now, what I wanna propose is what if this guy, and this is when you start with the topic, and you're like, well, what's the topic I'm gonna teach? Oh, it's gonna be piano, here's the course. Versus if you think about what is a program I can create that can change someone's life, that uses piano to change someone's life. So for example, and this is what is a, a simple way to get to what could your life changing course be? Because I believe each and every one of us can create a life changing course. We have that inside of us. Because first, it starts with who you are, it starts with your story, right? So, how did piano change your life? Did it make you more creative? Right. Did it help you bond with your kids? Did it help you create a legacy skill that you can pass on to your kids? Right. So first it starts with your story, your culture ad. Where did you come from? Maybe your dad taught you piano. So that's the first step is thinking about, like, what makes you a culture ad? What is your story? How do you add a new perspective? And then you ask yourself, who can benefit from this? So who out there right now is looking for a way to bond with their kids, is looking for a new skill that can help them become more creative? Because guess what? The way you do one thing is the way you do everything. So when you are playing piano, it's opening your mind to be more creative, to improvise, to make up new songs, to play. And so you're going to find yourself playing in other aspects of your life. Maybe when you go to the boardroom, you're now a more creative problem solver. Maybe you have more confidence. So, and then you figuring out who's, again, who's someone who can benefit from that. That's kind of the difference between a skills-based approach when you start with a topic, which is, okay, I'm going to teach people piano. And it starts and stops there versus learn. It could be, you know, you could call it improvisation mastery learn to play piano so you can create bonding experiences with your kids show up with confidence at work with confidence and creativity at work and create a new form of you know exercising your mind that those are two different courses that can come from the same person but notice how the first one the skills based one It'll probably be priced at maybe like $50, right? If it's just how to learn piano. However, if you ask yourself, how can I take this skill and help someone change their life with it? How can the skill of learning piano impact all the different aspects of their life in those other areas they need help in, such as how can I bond with my kid? How can I get that promotion at work? How can I have the confidence to share my creative idea at work? Well, let me tell you, when I teach you how to play piano and all the things involved with it and teach you improvisation mastery, that's going to change your life. And that program can be anywhere from, it doesn't matter, $500, $2,000, $10,000, whatever, you know, whatever that customer is interested in.
0: To see more of our past guests and to learn from their experience and expertise, please visit JennaKutcherBlog.com slash Amplify.